all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. All right, welcome to another episode of Golf, Drinking, and Life. My name is Colin McKern. I am a PGA professional and a Callaway staff member here in Mobile, Alabama. I'm with my brother, Corey McKern, a professional opera singer and a professor at the University of West Florida in Pensacola, Florida. Big core. What's going down? Living the dream over here in Mobile. What's going on with you, buddy? Well, you're going to have to add also uh, incoming artistic director of the Pensacola Opera to my byline. I know. Because, I said that yeah. once, but then you locked me in a box for two weeks and said I oh, couldn't sorry. speak. Yeah, yeah. It's announced now. It's all official. Okay, and, good. Uh, so but, what was uh, that third part? You, are, I'm already in your introduction. It's already a tongue twister that you can notice me. Uh, I, I have a hard time getting through the professional opera singer and then right into professor. You know, I was told there'd be no school words here, Corey. Yeah, it's like uh, you introduced me in the bio as like Bubba from Forrest Gump talking about shrimp. He does it's, some opera. He does some teaching. He does some more opera. He does. Yeah, fried <laughs> opera. Yeah. It's all paid um, opera. I didn't know when I went to college for eight years to be an opera singer that I'd end up with 14 jobs, but nevertheless. I like it. The more titles, the better, right? It fits yeah, well right. with that crown you wear around the office all day. <laughs> That's right. Someone told me a long time ago, keep a lot of hoses trickling into the same trough. And I don't uh, think you can talk about hoses. Oh, yeah, you can. It's explicit. <laughs> yeah, That's right. So, uh, big week. Master's week is finally here. Love me some Masters Week. Tournament will be starting shortly, so to speak. A lot of news this week. Um, We talked about it last week. Talked about Tiger, the possibility of him playing. Uh, Looks like he's going to play. Yeah. Barring something weird today. Uh, It's funny for him, the way this is shaping up for him. The weather is not really cooperating with him. What do you mean? Um, For this week. So the forecast looks like it's going to be chilly. It's going to be in the 40s in the morning there. And I think even on Friday, maybe in the low 60s for the high. It's not great for his body. It's not great for any of us who are over 45 or over 40. But it's certainly not great for somebody who's had the injuries he's had. It's already been a little bit of an issue for him. So I'm sure he's kind of looking at that weather going, really? I mean, couldn't it have just been 80 degrees? Right. Uh, they had it over an inch of rain there yesterday, which makes that golf course harder. makes any golf course harder to walk, which that's going to be the big deal for him is walking. Um, it's amazing that we're talking about him teeing it up in this golf tournament, and it's amazing that the way he's talking, he is not only going to play in this golf tournament, but he expects to have a chance to contend. Um, I spoke on this podcast not too long ago about I thought he would play in a few more events and some majors and eventually might have a chance to win Augusta. Certainly didn't think he would be playing, teeing it up in the Masters this year and certainly didn't think he would be teeing it up in a capacity where he thought he might be able to win. Yeah. Now, Tiger says that he's not going to tee it up in an event unless he feels like he can have a chance to win the event. Um, I believe him when he says that. Uh, golfer, golfers, as bad as we talk about golf and as negative we are, we are the eternal optimist. Um, I think all of us, every time we step on the tee, feel like we can beat Tiger Woods on that given day until we make two triples in a row on the first two holes. Yeah, I, I don't uh, ever feel like I can beat Tiger Woods, just for the record. Um, 
And it is when did this wreck happen? Less than a year ago, right? Seventeen months ago. Oh, seventeen months. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been you know a year and a half. Um, but still, he was in a hospital bed for three months. I mean, I was in a hospital bed for ten days and can barely walk. He was. And I feel like it's amazing what I'm doing in two years. He was in a hospital bed for three months. God, that's insane. I mean, now yes, he has the best. Um, trainers and PT and all that stuff, but still, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's absolutely amazing. You wouldn't expect anything less from him. Um, if you're in the doubting Tiger Woods game, you've been a loser on that bet for most of your life. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's, it's wonderful to talk about. It's wonderful to see what's going on. You know, there's some mixed reviews. I had a buddy of mine text me and say, glad Tiger could make the masters all about Tiger. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there, there is a little bit of that, but I'm going to tell you what golf needed this, um, distraction, so to speak right now with what was going on with Phil and what's going on with that LIV invitational series and all that. It's nice that they're not talking about that much this week. Yeah. Um, chairman Fred Ridley does his, uh, press conference today. I'm assuming that he will be asked about Phil. He will also be asked about, um, the LIV invitational series. I'm sure. Um, I would think he'll be pretty closed mouth about it. I don't think Augusta is going to come out today and say anything, um, controversial towards either one of those topics. I don't think I, 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 you know, I, it's seemingly more and more that Phil Mickelson is suspended either that and, or he's going full bore head on with this LIV invitational series or both, or he's at very least on the fence of that right now. Right. Um, I just can't believe that he would skip the TPC uh-huh. and the Masters because he's trying to get his thoughts together or because he's embarrassed. Right. We've talked about the two books that are coming out in May about Phil, and maybe he's laying low because of that second book or either one of those books. I don't know, but it's hard to believe that he's not suspended. Um, the tour doesn't announce their suspensions. The Masters would honor any PGA Tour suspensions. So it just, I don't know. It seems like two pretty big tournaments to skip when he probably doesn't have that many left anywhere he can contend. Yeah, I mean, come on. There's no way Phil Mickelson doesn't want to play in the Masters. I mean, it's insane. Yeah, well, and we and we talked about last week that, you know, if there was a place that you would want to make your return where you were less worried about heckling and stuff like that, the Masters would be the place because the crowd's just not that kind of crowd. And if they turn into that kind of crowd, they will quickly be removed from the property. So it seems like it would be, if he's embarrassed, it seems like that would be a safe haven to make your return, maybe skip the TPC. And like I said before, maybe play in Houston last week um, or at the Valero last week, just so if there is heckling or comments going on, you can kind of get that out of the way and then know that Augusta is your safe space. So that's still very strange what's going on with Phil. Um, I feel like if the crowd riots at Augusta, like suddenly a SWAT team in green uniforms comes out and just brings the water cannons on everybody. Like there's no, uh, there's no being rude at Augusta. Yeah, there's not. They 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 put up with very little on on and, and most PGA Tour tournaments, believe it or not, try not to put up with very much. But Augusta does not put up with very much. You know, they're just uh, 
and they have the um, the purview to ban you forever, and and they seemingly pull that trigger pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, you don't want to you don't want to get on the wrong side of Augusta if you plan on being a regular there very often. So, yeah, I have, I have two things to bring up. Number one is it's funny the way we frame what we when we talk about major athletes or celebrities like Tiger making the Masters all about Tiger. <clears throat> I think Tiger's just trying to play in a tournament and uh, he's just popular. So, you know, we make it all about Tiger. The media makes it all about Tiger, but Tiger's just trying to live his life, you know. Um, number one. Number two, the, the Masters doesn't advertise anymore, correct? Is that still true? Um, I don't know. I think they, they have some advertising during the tournament now. The only year they didn't do it that one year that uh, there was a controversy going on about not having a lady member or a female member. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so <laughs> they just said, member, yes. so they said that, you know, they just reined it in that year and, and didn't have any outside advertising. They do have very little advertising. You're talking about on the telecast? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they have very little advertising, and they'll give you that whole spill at the beginning. There will be limited um, interruption, but but usually Cadillac's one of them, and um, I, yeah, usually they have they they do have advertising. Yes, yeah, just not a lot. Yeah, so, um, but they certainly have the ability to not if they don't want it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so anytime they kind of feel like they're not going to be bullied by advertisers, how about that? And they do have a few female members now, yes? They do, yes. Condoleezza Rice being one. Right. That's what I yeah. thought. Yeah, so they, they remedied that situation pretty quick. That was, and you know, I, I read a little bit about that in the PGA Tour and the Masters um, relationship, and they were talking about when all that went down, the PGA Tour had a rule that, that they would not go to, not to exclusionary golf courses, Um but the Masters remained a PGA Tour money list tournament that year because the PGA Tour pulled out a loophole uh, rule that said that the Masters was a private invitational and that they didn't control who were members. Now, there was probably some talking behind doors saying, hey, we can't keep doing this. You guys got to catch up with the times. And the Masters has gone overboard um, in doing so, having that, that – uh, the drive chip and putt out there now, which is a junior event and also having the weekend before the masters, the um, Augusta national women's amateur right now. Um, so, so they really kind of, uh, w- w- once they decided to make that jump, they, they went all into it, which, which is good. That's what, that's what you should do. Uh, so let's do a little housekeeping here, Corey. We are now in 25 countries and 470 cities. Please continue to share and spread the word. You can follow me at Colin McKern on Twitter, golfdrinkinglife at gmail.com if you'd like to email the show any questions or concerns. Um, I want to continue to thank the people who've shared their personal struggles and stories. Um, We appreciate that. My background is I am nearly two years sober after a near-death experience with a long struggle with alcohol. Um, we have new episodes that come out every Thursday morning. We are on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, basically wherever you get your podcasts. So if you are new to the show, please check out episode one and two from season one for content that kind of gives my whole backstory, both of our backstories and 
basically the reason why we started this podcast and continue to do it. So um, let's break away from golf just for a minute. We had the final four national championships since our last show. Yeah. Duke lost in the final four to their arch rival UNC, which I think was three times they lost UNC this year. For sure, twice. Yeah, third time. And, uh, man, what a horrible – like, now Mike Krzyzewski has to go the rest of his life, his last game, his last season, he lost his arch rival three times. It's terrible. He should come out of retirement one more year. It's a terrible asterisk to have, and that asterisk is going to be by there for the next 10 years at least. Yeah. Every time they mention Mike Krzyzewski, they're going to say, probably kiddingly a little bit, but – but he lost in the his last game in the final four to his arch rival UNC. It just didn't work out well, did it? That whole matchup thing for him. Obviously, yes. if he wins, it does. But he had everything to lose there and nothing to win after 42 years and five national championships. I, I know. It's such a Cinderella story that his last season they were going to maybe win the national championship. And then, no. Sorry. Right. I mean, even if they lose to Kansas or Gonzaga or whoever else they might lose to, to lose to North Carolina in the, in the final four is, uh, that's, that's it. It kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I absolutely. mean, it's like, it's like you've had 42 years, great career, unbelievable. And then on your last day, somebody just kicks you in the balls right on your way out of the office. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, and trust me, I'm not taking any away from, anything away from Krzyzewski's career. He had a phenomenal career. He's a phenomenal coach and recruiter. Seems to be a phenomenal leader of young men. So it was, uh, you know, kudos to Krzyzewski and congratulations on on a career and retiring. Uh, just was an odd way for that to transpire. Are you privy to Mike Krzyzewski's strange relationship with Bob Knight? Um, well, I, they basically don't like each other anymore because Bob Knight was just an asshole to him all the time once they got to a certain point, right? Kind of. You know, they – so Krzyzewski played for Knight at Army and then was an assistant coach of Knights, and then Knight was pretty instrumental in him getting the Duke job. It, there were two jobs open. Um, I can't remember what the other one was, and Bob Knight suggested he go to Duke and made some phone calls, made that happen. And then they were always really close until – the 92, I think 92 or 93, that final four where Duke beat Indiana and it started to go south. And But Bob Knight's story is that, you know, he did all this stuff for Mike Krzyzewski and then Mike Krzyzewski started to kind of give him the, you know, hi-hat. Like he, he wanted to recruit for him. He wanted to scout for his Olymp- first Olympic team. And Krzyzewski didn't call him back, you know, and this was sort of after Knight had been fired and was kind of, wanted something to do. And he said, you know, I've done more for this guy than I've done for my own kids. And he can't return my phone call. And that's when it went uh, south for good. Um, and I, I just think, yeah, Bob Nice is a troubled person. And uh, he's either with you or he's not. And once he's not, that's it. So he, I'm sure he couldn't share the spotlight with a guy that ultimately was better than him. Right. Well, you know, and Bob Knight, at the end of his career there, or even three-fourths of the way through, seemingly just wasn't firing on all cylinders mentally. <laughs> um, and I, I think that probably has to have something to do with it. At some point, you can only take so much, even from your mentor, before you just distance yourself, and he's more trouble to mess with than he is 
to have around, right? Yeah. You know, the uh, Don Fisher, who does the radio for uh, Indiana, I, w- I heard him in an interview, and he was saying, if you ever got comfortable with Bob Knight, you knew something was wrong. Well, so speaking of that game where Duke beat Indiana, do you remember that particular game? And we were like it was over with, and we put our scrubs in, one of which was Todd Leary. Yeah, of course. And then he made like six threes in a minute and a half, five threes in a minute and a half. And all of a sudden, I think we had a shot to tie that game. We did. We were down like three. Uh, Yeah, it was like we were done. It was toast with like two minutes or three minutes to go. And Knight, he didn't put in the scrubs, but he basically put in the second string and was letting the starters get their farewell. Game was over. And then Leary starts making three-pointers. Um just these, oh, by the way, three-pointers, and all of a sudden I was like, holy moly, you know, we have a chance to tie this game. It's crazy. You know, that's why NCAA basketball is so amazing because just crazy stuff like that can happen. Um, there, there were some good games this year. Yes, yeah, and you know, the, obviously the three-pointer is much more of a um, – is much bigger part of the game now, and that line is way further back than it was at that time. Um, it was just right at the top of the key, 19.9 inches back then, I know, because I chalked it on our driveway over and over. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but the you know, the three-pointer wasn't as big a part of the game back then, and many coaches didn't let you just shoot three-pointers at will. Um, so it was, you know, it, it's certainly a much different game now. These teams are shooting 25 three-pointers a game, most of them. Right. You know, where before, if you were shooting 10 three-pointers a game, it was unheard of. Did you know, uh, so Todd Leary was a beloved Indiana player because of that, and then he started doing the uh, color commentary for the radio with the aforementioned Don Fisher, and then he got arrested and went to jail. Did you know that? I did not. What did he get arrested for? He he got involved in some kind of real estate deal where he had leveraged himself, I think, beyond what was comfortable. And uh, in, in a lot of these properties, there was, he would take over these properties and there were appliances in them. And he started taking the appliances and selling them, which was illegal. And, uh, he got caught and arrested. They actually arrested him. They came to assembly hall and arrested him before one of the broadcasts. Lord, I uh, was let out of assembly hall and pretty compelling, um, interview on a podcast I listen to called Hoosier Hysterics. That's uh, an advertisement, but they're not paying us. So, <laughs> so, so we need to send you to a money class, Corey. Yeah. So please, uh, you know, write them and say you'll you'll listen if they give us a little money. Perfect. I like your strategy there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's seemingly awkward. They're getting pulled out of the actual stadium. You'd think they could have found a better time to arrest him, like maybe in his office on a Monday. Yeah, or maybe before he left his house to go to the game. Yeah. It uh, seems Uh-oh. like a, a little heavy-handed. Yep, so Kansas ended up winning, beating North Carolina. I didn't really pay much attention to the championship game. I just wasn't much into college basketball this year. So, um, congratulations to Kansas, though. They beat a very good North Carolina team who was uh, peaking at the right moment. I really felt like North Carolina was going to win the tournament. Yeah, I did too, and uh, particularly – I mean, it was insane. They were up 15 at the half and then lost. Um, Which, and, and for a coach like Hubert Davis, who took over in the, in the shadow of uh, Roy Williams. Roy Williams. I wanted to say Roy Davis for some reason. <laughs> um, you know, for this to be his first year, 
to go as far as he went is fantastic, but to win that national championship, boy, that buys you some time, doesn't it? Sure if, does. If if you were worried about you know the job that you're in and the fans' expectations, um, it certainly would have been. It's always nice, obviously, to win a national championship. But your first year taking over for a legend would have uh, that really would have been something. But but a heck of a year anyway. They were eight seed um, and just kind of got it all together at the right time, which is why we all like. Which is all why we love the tournament. Yeah, because you can get in as an eight seed and theoretically have a chance to win the national championship. Yeah, that's why, you know, the college basketball tournament is so different from the college football playoffs. Um, You know, there's just, there is not an opportunity in football for, you know, someone outside the top 10 to ever have a chance. I agree. That's why I think it's crazy. I I know they, they pushed it back now and they haven't made any changes to it yet, but for them to start talking about eight and 12 teams in the college football playoffs to me, is just ridiculous. Well, yeah. I mean, at some point, where do you stop? Yeah. I mean, it's not the basketball tournament. It's not ever going to be the basketball tournament and it doesn't have to be the basketball tournament that those things are two opposite things. You we've seen in the college playoffs being four teams that often at least one for sure, if not two of them don't have a chance. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's I don't think adding adding four or eight more is going to help that. Yeah, no. you get more games. Yeah, you get more teams in. But do you really I, I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't ask that question because I, I'm going to say, do you really want to be in if you have no chance to win? And the question for fans, the answer for fans is yes, I do. Yeah. You know, I mean, Indiana had no chance to win the title this year, but we certainly wanted them in. Yes, of course. But even though they have no chance, there's always a chance. Well, that's what I was about to say, just like this Tiger thing. Yeah. If you're an athlete that plays at a high level, or even if you're a dipshit that shoots 100, I'm not trying to offend people who shoot 100. But there's always a chance, isn't <laughs> well, there? When you step on me. that tee and your best score ever in golf has been 100, you always step on that tee hoping that that day is going to be the day you shoot 98. Or ninety six? Did you see that? Did I send you that me- that meme the other day about the guy who finally broke a hundred and baked himself a ninety six cake? Yes, <laughs> and that's the kind of energy I want you to all take into this week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So yeah, I mean, you know, I Friday I played terrible. I shot seventy eight. I was miserable all day, and you know, for somebody else that's that's trying to break a hundred. They'll shoot 20 shots higher than me that day and shoot 98, and they are in heaven. So that that's why sports are good all around, not just in golf. But, um, you know, golf, it's certainly relative. If your best score is 100 and you shoot 96, you're on top of the world. Didn't you shoot like 65 and then you shot 78? I shot 67 on Thursday and 78 on Friday, yes. Yes. Yeah. Friday's a cautionary tale of I have actually been playing too well, and I've been talking about how well I've been playing and kind of as I've been talking about it, saying, but you shouldn't talk about golf like that because then it will beat you down. And um, while I didn't play terrible on Friday, I did score terrible. And it certainly it was almost like I, I willed myself to play bad, like it's coming on. And it was it, it's it really speaks to the mental side of golf and how even when you're hitting the ball good and have confidence. You just you got to it's there's a lot there's a lot to playing good. Seems like maybe you suffer from an affliction that 
uh, our buddy Andy's dad used to say, uh, birdie-itis. Yes. Yes. You quite possibly. Birdie, you play well, and then the next tee, you want to do even better, and you duck hook it right in the woods. Yes. Yes. Uh, you did that on a bigger scale. You shot really well, and then you came out like you were going to shoot 62, and uh, you didn't. Yes. Um, golf, and I've, I've had this conversation with you for sure before, but golf is all about expectations. And anybody who plays golf a couple times a week at least knows that you, you're constantly going through a circle with your golf game. And that circle is when you're not playing well, you're you're trying to focus on one shot at a time and you're trying to hit the tee shot in the fairway and hit the second shot on the green and two putt for par, maybe squiggle in a birdie. Um, and you're not really thinking about anything else. And then when you start scoring well and playing well, you tend to get away from that one shot at a time um, type thinking, and you start to look ahead, and you're confident, you're too confident, and um, then it beats you back down. And then you go through the full circle again. You start to concentrate on one shot at a time and hitting fairways and greens. And then you start to play well again. And it's just, it's a constant and never ending cycle. Um, and I, I think on some level for all golfers, you, you see these professionals do the same thing. Um, Tiger obviously did it well for a long time. And that's what also makes him so amazing. You look at all these guys, you look at what Rory's going through right now. I mean, Rory won four majors pretty quickly, and now it's been seven years. Um, and so these cycles can last a long time. And not only that, when you're talking about majors in the PGA Tour, obviously they're just hard to win, even if you have your A game every week. You've got to get some luck. You've got to get, you know, I was watching old Masters highlights last night of Fred Couples in 92, which is so funny to watch those videos of 1992 because it looks like it's 1950, which was 30 years ago, I realized. But, you know, Freddie hit the famous shot on 12 that always rolls back into the water in the final round, and it didn't roll back into the water. And I'll be honest with you, as I watched that yesterday, because they kept showing it over and over, and the camera work wasn't as good back then, so they, they don't have a camera angle of that ball landing. But I guarantee you what happened is he hit that shot so bad that ball landed on the bottom of the slope and therefore stuck because it didn't have anywhere it didn't have any momentum to roll. Right. If he'd hit the ball a little better and it hit five feet up the slope, it rolls right back into the water. Right. So he actually got lucky because he hit it that poorly. You can see his ball when they show it close up and it's got like some grass stuck to it, almost like it just hit the grass and plugged a little bit and then rolled out of his plug mark. So but that's the kind of fortunate things that happen to you that puts you over the top for winning a major, no matter how well you're playing, you have to have a little luck as well. Now I say that when Tiger Woods won the masters by 12, I'm not sure he had a little luck in that. Although if if people who really remember that masters tiger, not only won that masters by 12, he shot 40 on the front nine, his first nine holes of the tournament, he shot four over. Wow. And then ended up winning by 12. That's and I think insane. he shot 18 under he, cause he shot either 32 or 31 or something like that on the back that day. Yeah. So for him to be four over after nine holes to shoot 18 under for that tournament or whatever that final score was, um, was, was amazing, you know? And so, you know, you can call that lucky in a sense who opens the major with 40 on the front wins by 12. Yeah. That, you know, that was, uh, 
the beginning of, you know, when you're talking about Fred Couples winning the Masters and Rory and all those people, they're just never been. The reason it was so exciting to watch Tiger is because it was like watching what it must have been like watching Jack in his prime. You know, there's just nobody that wins those kind of majors anymore um, with that kind of consistency. And, uh, and Tiger's so unique as an athlete, as a, you know, he was so sort of distant as a personality. Um, and I think he's just more interesting than a lot of these young guys personally. Um, and you know, the characters, there were different characters that everyone to me now seems a little more, you know, Brooks Kepka and Bryson have a rivalry, but to me, they seem exactly the same. Um, they're not, but they seem it. And, you know, when you had John Daly out there and Greg Norman, uh, I guess I shouldn't say his name anymore. And Tiger. And I mean, those were a wide variety. Phil, just different guys, different looks, different styles of game. Now, even it seems a lot more um, similar. Do you agree with that? Yeah, well, I mean, that's always been the knock on golf that these guys are robots and they're all, you know, because to play good golf, you really kind of need to be very, um, very right in the middle, kind of not not too high, not too low kind of thing. But I, I don't think that's limited to golf. I think that's any professional athlete. To be focused, you don't need to have the highs. You don't need to be too hard on yourself, and you don't need to be too flamboyant when you're winning. And Tiger is like that mostly. But once he gets in the hunt, then he starts getting a little more, um, you know, a, a, a little more loud and whatnot. But what, nine, what the 97 Masters did, I mean, it did a whole lot of things, but what it, when he won by 12, it it not only said that he's here, it's for any, it, it, for anybody who was doubting him, it just, he just blew right through the water there to win the masters in 97 would have been enough, but to win the masters by 12 in 97 was like, okay, you know, here I am and there's nothing you can do about it. And this is going to go on for a long time, and it certainly did. Yeah. And you forget how skeptical all those older golfers were of Tiger Woods at the time. Well, there's that interview. Is it Paul Azinger that's interviewing him? And he says something to – and Paul Azinger is being a complete dick in this interview. (laughs) And he's like – he says something to him about what makes you think you compete out here. And Tiger just says, I'm not going to show up to a tournament unless I think I can win and my prep rate, blah, blah, blah. And Azinger is like, okay. Azinger kind of chuckles under his breath and says, you'll you'll find out. (laughs) Yeah, they, They weren't very nice to him starting off. And what, and you know, but they, they didn't know, they just didn't know because that's usually how golf works. And they didn't realize at the time what he was going to do for the purses, or they would have all been kissing his feet. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, so he, he's been phenomenal at every stretch of his career. That's why I would, you know, I'd be shocked if he made the cut this week, but I wouldn't be shocked if he won. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it, if he it, won. What a, uh, you know, I don't think the weather's cooperating for him. Here's what I hope to happen out of this week. Whether he makes the cut or misses the cut, I hope he plays Thursday and Friday and gets both rounds in. It would be fantastic for him to make the cut. I hope he doesn't get in a situation where he starts the tournament and has to withdraw. Yeah. In saying that, I think Tiger has a free pass in this one. He certainly doesn't want to embarrass himself. But if he goes out and shoots 78, 76 and misses the cut, everybody is still going to relish the fact that he even teed it up and walked this golf course. Yeah. 
if he contends, it's just going to add to the legend. Um, but I, 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 I think it's a win all the way around. Like I said, I think it would be a shame if he, if he were to start the tournament and not be able to finish at least Thursday and Friday. Uh, but even that, I don't think is the end of the world. But I, I think for the first time in his career, even though there's been so much made of this, I think in everybody's mind, he, he, there's always, the haters are always going to be the haters. But I think he has a legitimate free pass in this one. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, it's just not only the leg. I mean, his like femur was like snapped in half. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he and he's forty six. Yeah, I mean, and people it, forget that he's forty six. Man, that golf course is hard to walk just if you're forty six. <laughs> like that golf course is hard to walk if you're twenty five. It's a right. hard golf course. I mean, pa- picture the hilliest golf course you've ever played in Birmingham, and that's Augusta. Right. It is hilly. It's unbelievably hilly. When you get there, you cannot believe it. Yeah, um, it doesn't look that hilly on TV. It does not, and it is hilly. I mean, it is really friggin' hilly. So it's um, it, it's a hard it's a hard walk, man. It's it's and, and with all he's gone through, it's just it's it's amazing. It's amazing to be talking about it. I'm I'm. You know, if you you just can't doubt Tiger, you never know. He may never win a tournament again. He might win. He might catch Jack's record. Who knows? I mean, it's just it's fun that he's playing this week. I think it's great that we're talking about it. I think it's great that they'll probably show every one of his shots on the telecast. They should. He he certainly earned it. And if any of the, the players certainly don't have a problem with it, they know they know who's buttered their bread, so to speak. Hey, is that a saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm going to be great to watch. Listen, last time Tiger won the Masters, uh, I cried. Yes, it was the most awesome thing to watch in sports. Yes, I mean, and, and nobody thought he would get back to that point then. Right. Um, so well, that's the other thing I was going to say. If you've is- made a career out of di- doubting Tiger Woods, you have not done very well. Yeah. And... The other thing is, how is his back? His back was in such bad shape, he like couldn't even walk, couldn't play with his kids, and then had what surgery did he have that was so miraculous? Now it seems like he doesn't have issues with his back anymore. Well, he still does, and he talked about this in his press conferences. In his press conference yesterday, is about what's what's harder for him now, and it's good that he has all these people with him. But his his time before and after the round now. He talked about how much that's increased with all the physical therapy and icing and heating and whatnot he has to do just to play 18 holes of golf. Right. Um, So he has the best people working on him. The the reason why he's going to be dangerous if he can actually walk this golf course is because there's a saying about there's nothing, there's nothing scarier than a sick golfer. And you can throw hurt into there too, because when you're dealing with something else in golf, um, that's not golf itself. Sometimes it takes your your mind off of golf, but not in a bad way. Right. In a way that allows you to hit golf shots and you're not thinking about the consequences of the golf shots because you're trying not to be sick or you're trying not to be hurt or you're trying to walk this golf course without your leg hurting. So it 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 can it can work with you sometimes because it takes the pressure off the rest of your game. You don't have time to think about missing it on the short side or hitting it fat or whatever your demons are in your mind. Um, So I would say you need to be a little bit scared of Tiger this week. 
if he can walk it around a little well, bit. He yeah, hasn't played in any tournaments, but he's, you know, and he said this in his press conference yesterday that he's not worried about the golf part, that he's hitting the ball well. He's worried about the leg and walking and, and the the stuff he has to do before the round, the stuff he has to do after the round, the way the draws are, the course being what he's worried about everything but the golf this week. Interesting. Which makes a dangerous golfer, I'm telling you. Yeah, that's an interesting point you bring up because as a singer, you know, you try to quiet your mind as much as possible because you go out on stage and you're supposed to be focused and and character and you inevitably, your thoughts start to creep in one way or the other. Oh, that went pretty well, which you think is fine to think, but it's really not. Like you don't want to start having, you don't want to start mentally commenting on what you're doing, good or bad. Oh, that wasn't great. Because then you start to try to help it a little or you start thinking you're doing good and you lose your focus um, and you kind of get out of character. And the same in golf. And I have found that if you are the couple times I've been uh, sick or, um, you know, when I flew in and did that last minute gig in Washington, D.C., like once you're just focused on the bigger task because you may you feel like you may not be able to do it. Suddenly you're not trying to be perfect. You're just trying to, you know, be do it in a lot of ways. That's a much more powerful place to come from. Well, and this, and, and I'm going to mean this literally when I say it, but he is just trying to put one foot in front of the other this week, isn't he? He sure is. And so, you know, who knows? I, I expect him to play a decent Thursday round. I expect him to play. I, I expect him to shoot 72 the first round. I'll be shocked if he doesn't shoot 72 or better the first round. All right. I think, the, here, I, I think the second round will be where I, I'm predicting 72, 76. That's what I'm predicting. And now whether that makes a cut, that's four over. I don't know whether that makes a cut or not. It depends on the weather. That's a high, that would be a high cut, I would think. But I wouldn't be surprised if he played better than that. But I, I think he'll play a good first round. And um, I, I think people will be shocked by it. A lot of people will. Um, I, you know, I, I still think there's a slight chance that you, he might not tee it up. A very slight, yeah. Because um, he kind of left it open to, you know, I don't, I don't think this weather will scare him off. He's been, I mean, he's when when you get this far into it, it's hard to pull back, man. For any athlete, and he, I, I would think that he knew. Besides something weird happening that he already knew last Sunday when he went to Augusta that he was going to be playing. Um. Well, you got to figure. He, I mean, he wouldn't you know, have flown there unless he was. Well, yeah, sure. so I, I think he's been pretty sure that he's going to play, but I think he's been quiet about it in case something popped up that he wasn't expecting. And, and I think that certainly could still happen today. Um, I, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I think that the weather is certainly not working for him. Um, and, and and you feel as a injured player that you, you kind of need all those other things to go in your favor. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Uh, more so than than certainly the younger guys, um, yeah, or, or the guys without injury. So it's uh, you know it was funny also watching the ninety two highlights yesterday. Just um, Ray Floyd finished second ninety two to Fred Couples, and I don't know how old uh, Ray Floyd was in ninety two. I guess I need to Google it, but he was yeah. probably in his late forties. But he, he might like have he been fifty. Yeah, he looked like he was seventy three. He didn't. He didn't really. If you looked looked at him, but what he was wearing and the way they were talking about him, you would have thought he was a skeleton walking around out there. 
<laughs> I mean, they were talking like he was just so old, and and he was he was old he was older than forty six because they were talking about Jack being the oldest champion at, at Augusta, and that Floyd had a chance to break that. And uh, but it was just it it was funny to see, and you could see we, me and you talk about this a lot. You could see, you know, Ray Floyd was this was nineteen ninety two, and Ray Floyd looked like he was wearing the same clothes that he wore in nineteen eighty two. Right. Um, the you know Jack Nicholas when he won the Masters in '86 looked like he was wearing the outfit he was wearing in 1976. Like golfers as they get older now, or just people in general as they get older now, tend to keep up with the trends a little bit more. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I feel like that's why people don't look as old. Although I'm going to pick on Tiger for a second. If you start to look at the way Tiger is dressing now, it's not going to be long before he's a little bit getting into that category. He still had that, uh, that uh, I forget what you even call them. Those belts he wears with the, um, (laughs) anyway, those belts have been out of style for about 10 years, Tiger. So if you're listening (laughs) to the podcast, I'd be happy to send you some pictures of some belts that will work out better for you. (laughs) Nice. And not make you look so old. Uh, Ray Floyd was 50 years old in 1992. Okay. So he was one year older than me, and they were talking about him like he was the granddaddy walking around there. Well, Colin, a lot of people <laughs> are granddaddy at 50 years old. I tell you. So it was just, it was funny to watch and see that. And it's, it's, I guess, funny or sad as I am now that age that I have to look at that and say, that's not how people see me, but it is. <laughs> yeah. It is. The the 30-year-old guy that plays in our group at the golf course looks at me as the old guy with the gray beard. You know? Yeah. And and, uh, and more importantly, now instead of looking like I'm wearing a classic outfit like Ray, late, like Ray Floyd, I look like the dipshit that's trying to dress like Vanilla Ice when he's 50. Well, uh, based on the uh, podcast picture that you advertise with, I would agree with your assessment. <laughs> Thank you. I can always count on you, Cor. Looks good on you, though. Yeah. <laughs> like that you get a free bowl of soup all right how about any opera news slash story today anything oh so much exciting uh, opera news you know um settling into my role here as artistic director already working on casting next season we talked about this a little bit but um very interesting my mental um the way i think about singing and casting already on the administrative side you know, when you're a singer, you take things very personally because it is personal. You know, if I get the job, I have a decent amount of money and, and a life experience. And if I don't get the job, I'm sitting at home. Um, but I was amazed how quickly I was thinking of people to cast who, you know, have careers that far beyond what maybe they would even want to come here. And yet, in my mind, I was like, eh, I don't know. Uh, so it was a little lesson for me. Um But going back to the opera archives, I was um, singing back in Santa Fe, uh, one of my, um, you know, I worked there a lot, obviously. In 2009, I was doing a production of Don Giovanni. I was playing a character called Mazzetto, who's like a young country bumpkin who's getting married. And Don Giovanni happens by and subtly takes his fiance to his castle. So Mazzetto is this guy that's, you know, he gets a shotgun, goes to the... uh, castle tries to get his lady back and in act two she's trying to apologize to him and there's this funny aria where she's like you know apologizing and being cute 
And the way it was staged, I was laying down and she's kind of walking toward me sort of in this, she's supposed to be sexy kind of way. And I had a buddy from high school, my buddy Alan from high school was in the audience that night. And the, the soprano was a uh, uh, mezzo, was a rather well-known, she's pretty famous now. And uh, she starts walking and then suddenly I just, I hear her make a noise and I kind of see her knee buckle. And she just, she's standing like right over me and she just comes down like a ton of bricks and her knee lands right on my crotch. Oh Lord. And from the back of the orchestra, my buddy heard me on stage go, ah, and uh, she actually tore her ACL and I had to help her off stage. And then that was it. She pulled out of the rest of the performances and they put her understudy on and uh, she had to have surgery. So, uh, Live theater, anything can happen. Man, I didn't realize it was so violent. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is. So, speaking of opera, Corey, what, do you have any shows coming up or shows that you are working on, um, not necessarily just performing in? Yeah, so it's, you know, the aforementioned um, wearing a few different hats, and uh, I'm kind of enjoying this part. You know, being a singer is... Uh, it, just like a golf being any kind of 1099 contract employee where you're not guaranteed um, employment can be difficult. And, uh, you know, I went, when I, w- I was saying, when I went to Nashville working with those young artists, you know, singers are the most exposed. Everyone that works with singers has a job. The singers are the ones hired on a show by show basis. And so being older and being able to diversify my sort of artistic portfolio. Um, I really enjoyed teaching. I enjoyed, you know, I didn't sing until I got to college. So that experience for me was um, very meaningful. And so I like to, um, you know, I like to work with kids that came from a similar place that I did, which was no experience in this art form and, and do what my teachers did, which is pass down this tradition, you know, um, and then I'm really finding that uh, planning, producing, um, dealing with all the administrative stuff in opera, I'm really enjoying. And again, as an as a as a private contractor, you're never really a part of anything. You know, I've I've sang in Santa Fe nine times, and then eventually I just didn't. I, you know, I knew everyone there, and that's that's fine. That's the natural evolution of life but I find much more personal satisfaction being a part of a community all kind of working toward one thing. So just working with my colleagues at Pensacola Opera to plan our next season, I've really enjoyed. And we should probably talk about, um, you know, that one of, I have two bosses now, one at the university and one at the opera and Chandra is my boss at the opera. Uh, who's my wife. Um, and I, 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 I told her I'm a much uh, better employee than I am a husband. So hopefully that. <laughs> so yeah, so we're doing next season at Pensacola Opera um, two very popular shows, La Boheme, which is the m- most quintessential Italian opera, and then the musical Carousel. Um, so our former artistic director did a lot of the casting for Boheme, and myself and our music director are working on casting Carousel and. Uh, it's uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it. So, so, do you enjoy the actual casting process and getting to see performers and getting to be to basically pick who you want to be in the show? Is that 
is that a fun thing and you get to cherry pick or does it become a hard thing and, and you find yourself just trying to fill the spot? No, it's, it's, I think it's enjoyable and uh, it's fun bringing people that you want to bring in and that you believe in and that you think will do a good job. It's interesting. It's like going into, you know, you've been on the PGA tour and now you're a swing coach or you're in, um, you know, you work for the PGA tour. It's just still your same business. Um, just a different side of it. In a lot of ways, what you're doing, being a club pro is probably similar. You know, you have, you're around golf, you're with uh, like-minded people, but you don't have the pressure of having to, you know, you like to shoot 67, but if you shoot 78, you can still eat. So takeaway from this, Corey McKern is going to cast himself, Corey McKern, in every major role for the next five years. <laughs> it's funny you should say that because uh, you're all low-grade dog food. I will cast myself now. I will not do that. <laughs> you know, I won't unless it's some kind of special concert. Um, I won't be uh, casting myself here. Yeah, I'm just kidding with you there, Core. I'm sure that uh, gonna, I may cast you though. I'm sure that if you end up in a show, it's probably because Chandra has um, talked you into being in said show because of whatever circumstances lie around. Yeah. So yes, you can cast me. I have a deep, uh, rich opera voice hiding inside of me. So I hear that. Kind of be like Tiger playing on this broken leg. I would just appear out of nowhere and start singing, and it could either go horribly wrong, most likely, or horribly good. Right. If that's such a thing. Yeah. Just uh, let me work with you a bit first. So I want to end, and I know we're beating this to death, but I want to talk about Phil just for a little bit towards the end of this. Um, I, I don't, um, I, I, it's funny to watch the um, temperature of this go back and forth on social media as of uh, people who are feeling sorry for Phil and saying things like if he's been suspended, that it's too harsh and what he said wasn't that bad. I'll agree with what he said. Maybe wasn't that bad in this world of social uh, media and everything. Okay, but what he did behind what he said, and we don't really know the extent of what he did, but what he seemingly did was try to undermine the employer that has made him rich. And not only was he going to leave, he was going to take their best players with him. Right. And you can't do that in any work environment. I challenge any of you out there who doubt that. Try that at your job. Try not only to leave for a competitor's job, but take five of your employees with you and let your employer find out about it and see how that works. Yeah, that's a really good point. You will not be suspended. Yeah. You will be fired. Right. And so that is how the real world works, whether you're an athlete or not an athlete or whatever. Phil maybe had a momentary lapse of insanity or maybe he's had full on and he's going to go full on in this. I don't know, but don't defend him by saying what he said wasn't that bad. It's not what he said. It's what he was actively doing on the back end and behind the scenes in this. Now we don't know exactly what it, what that extent was, but it certainly to the extent where there's been six or eight tournaments announced they are starting next or in June. So, um, it, it's, you know, don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's a slippery slope there to start feeling sorry for Phil. I don't well, know what know. his personal problems are. I don't know what his gambling issues are and the extent of any of that. 
some of that's probably going to come to light in these two books coming out and maybe we will all see the picture clearer. But as far as Phil, I do miss Phil and a part of me does feel a little bit sorry for him, but I don't feel like he's not getting what he deserved if he's suspended right now. Yeah, I agree. You just can't do that. Um, whether you like the PGA tour or whether you think a rival tour should be out, whatever, there can be a rival tour. The USFL kicks off next weekend. The Birmingham Stallions are playing the New Jersey Generals. Sounds like are we've you, done this before, doesn't it? Are you joking? No. April I, 16th. I guess I've it's never, Saturday before Easter. I haven't seen one. I had no idea this was going on. I saw a commercial for it yesterday. It's the first I knew. I saw that uh, Terrell Owens is going to play football. Is that where? I don't know. I Like, wow. like I said, I've heard grumblings about it, but I saw the actual NBC commercial. It's on NBC, Peacock, and Fox. Wow. I don't know how Fox sticks into that. but um, So, anyway, they're trying that again. And le- leagues get tried. They usually don't work out. And it's okay to try new leagues where this is a, you know, you, you're, you're allowed to do that stuff. But, um, you know, sneaking around your employer's behind and trying to steal their best commodities is not going to get you looked favorably upon. Yeah, um, right. wh- whether it's right or wrong, I you know it's it's certainly not right to your employer, and no. you know it seems like the BJ Tour has done done a pretty good job making these guys um, making these guys rich. Like I said, I'd like to see the one thing change on the PGA Tour is I I think that these guys should be should be making a minimum for playing, whether it's five thousand across the board or whatever. I don't think you should show up on site and make zero dollars for missing the cut. I totally agree. I don't think, you know, I don't think it should be enough to live on, but it should be enough to help with a major chunk of your expenses. Yeah. Well, certainly they could. I mean, here again, it's different for the top guys, but the guys just trying to scrape a living together and keep in mind, you know, scrape a living together. If they make $200,000, that sounds like a lot of money, but not when you have to um, pay your agent, pay your manager, pay all your travel, pay your caddy, pay your taxes, mortgage, pay your taxes. I mean, yeah, yeah, it goes fast for sure. I mean, I, I, I would, when we have Heath back on or even Blackburn back on, um, we need to ask them what an average, the masters is a little bit of an outlier, but, but, but what it costs them on average for a week at the masters to play. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. Like he said, the first time he went, he rented two houses, all his family came houses aren't rent for cheap, even to players at Augusta this week. Right. Um, it's, there's a lot of overhead going on. These guys do make a lot of money off their titles caps and their, you know, bank on their sleeves and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I don't know to show up for your job, to show up for your job. I mean, if, if, if Kyrie Irving has a bad night, he still gets paid. Yeah. And he also doesn't have to rent the bus that takes him from the hotel to the arena. Correct. And he doesn't even have to rent his hotel room. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, real quick, you bringing it back to you're talking about Phil. It, it just occurred to me that we tend to think as humans, if things are going well, we tend to think that, yeah, yeah, that makes sense because I'm pretty amazing. And if things aren't going well, we think that somehow the universe is uh, conspiring against us. Like, I'm sure when you shot 67, you were like, yeah, that's about right. And then when you shot 78, you were like a victim of uh, a crime. Like, how could I shoot 78? And, uh, you know, Phil's made a lot of his success on the PGA Tour, but somehow I bet he doesn't wake up and say, you know what I'm grateful for? All the opportunities 
the PGA Tour gave me. I think, Phil, you know, you get an ego as a successful athlete and you sort of think you're more important than the organization that led you to where you are. And uh, Right. You start to you think know, you're, you're, you're – you're, Yes, he's part of the reason why they are what they are, right? In his mind. Yeah. Yes. And, and, there, exactly. and there's a little bit of truth to that, but I think you also, it, 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 you know, Phil's always been a gambler on the golf course throughout his life. I don't mean game $5 NASA. I'm just talking about the shots he hits and the way he rolls. So I'm sure that that rolls over into his real life as well. And if, if you know, it'll be interesting when these books come out to see if he's in some kind of financial problems, because that would make more sense behind yeah. all this. Yeah, sure would. You know, if he's just doing this because he's bored and, and wants more money and he's being uh, greedy, then that, then it seemingly becomes, um, you know, it doesn't look, it just looks, it's just a bad look. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it makes you not look like a good guy. <laughs> and, yes. you know, everybody doesn't have to be a good guy, but when you're in the public light like this, you're judged upon that. Yeah. I you mean, know, same thing happened with Tiger when all that, when all his stuff hit the fan and, and how he was judged, but, but, but he made a comeback and they loved it when he did. And Phil can do the same thing. Yeah. So, uh, don't forget new episodes every Thursday. You can follow me on Twitter at Colin McKern, email the show golf drinking life at gmail.com. Um, next week we'll be back with the master's, uh, conclusion. Basically, um, I'm, I'm be rooting for tiger this week. It's going to be fun to watch. Um, I'm rooting for Paul Casey as we have our $25 bet on him. Uh, yes. Paul Casey is in the group right in front of Tiger Woods for the first two rounds, which pisses me off a little bit <laughs> because it's going to be a mad uh, madhouse around Tiger's group. Just people trying yeah, to exactly. shuffle and get get sights of Tiger, which it's always been like that, and people know it, but it's going to be worse this year. I would think. Yeah. So, so Paul, hang in there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Do us right, Paul. Um, also, I'm in another little master's pool where you pick 10 players. I texted Blackburn yesterday because Max Homa, who Blackburn teaches, is one of my players. And I said, tell Max if he doesn't play well, he owes me $20. <laughs> so Just one more fee on top of his uh, travel expenses. So good luck to Max Homa. Also, I hope you don't have to cash at me $20. It would be embarrassing for you. <laughs> yeah. Anything else, Cor? That's all I got, buddy. All right. As always, it's a pleasure spending an hour of my week with you. Likewise, sir. All right. Thank you, everybody. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Mm-hmm.